Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Way In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 35, headlined by a featherweight fight between Giga Chikaze and Edson Barboza. We also have the Ultimate Fighter finale sprinkled out throughout the card as well. So, some interesting matchups, maybe not the biggest name value, but that main event sure as hell should deliver. So, I can't wait to break it down for you guys. And as always, for these ultimate win shows i'm bringing you guys a solid cast uh to help me break this down for you guys one last time so without further ado let's start bringing these guys in once uh one by one but the first guy i want to bring in he called it self like the darling at the dance earlier before we started fucking going on to the uh to to the live stream here you got my guy uncle wheezy who's been pretty much making the rounds all week he's blowing up just as i told you guys he would uh wheezy what's going on brother not too much, man. I feel like that girl that puts out this week, man. You know, it's like the phone is just ringing off the hook, but I couldn't be happier about it. I'm happy to be making my second appearance on your show, Lock. Fired up to chop it up with you and the guys, man. Absolutely. You bring a great dynamic to this cast whenever I put these casts together. So I'm glad to have you with these other two guys as well who are very sharp, and I can't wait to break it down. And then obviously the viewers are going to be the one that win at the end of the day because we're going to get some winning tickets out of this thing. Next up. Let's bring in my guy, Luke, from Sparring with Reality Betting, obviously from the Club and Sub podcast as well. Luke, what's going on, buddy? Happy to be here, man. Uh, definitely a lot of lot of stuff going on this weekend, uh, a lot of action on the, all these fights. So, uh, yeah, it should be fun. Uh, ready to get into it. Absolutely. I'm glad that you talked about there's a lot of action and a lot of stuff going on this week because the last guest is watching five, six different screens with all this DJ action that he has going on. We got my guy, Andrew, from MMA Knockout Bets. Andrew, what's going on, dude? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. I know your eyes are going to be wandering all over the place during the stream, so people, don't worry. He's not having a seizure or anything like that. The guy just has a ton of money riding on a couple of the fights that we got going on. So we got PFL going on right now. We got uh, Invicta going on. Is LFA today, right? LFA is today as well? Yeah, it's today, but I only have uh, PFL and Invicta. I might be having a seizure if um, if Corey Henderson can't get this done here. So <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. Uh, but yes, uh, we have a, a great card set up and obviously a great cast to break down uh, these UFC fights for you guys as well. Only one weight miss, which we'll talk about obviously in this first fight. But uh, yeah, we all are obviously going to be watching the PFL on the background too. So uh, yeah, don't don't trip out. We we will be watching the comment section as well. All right, let's get this going. Let's not waste too much more time first and foremost we got mana martinez the only weight miss today comes in at 140 pounds for a 135 pound fight essentially misses the weight by four pounds he's going up against guido canetti who we haven't seen since ufc 248 when he got put up by Denab bat as a very slight favorite i believe he was in that fight uh interesting fight uh if the total was set at two and a half i would more than likely be making the under two and a half my lock of the night play but here we are it's only an alternate total at this point in time but i'm expecting to see a ton of violence in this fight I think the line is a little bit too wide to begin with, but I do think that Martinez definitely has the power in his hands to go out there, crack Guido Canetti, and eventually put his lights out and, and win this fight inside the distance. I like Mana Martinez, even though he ended up missing weight. It didn't seem like he was really cutting those extra pounds. Like I believe he was like the fifth or sixth guy to actually make it onto the scale you know, within 15 minutes of the, the weigh-in time starting. So you know he didn't really put in that extra time. And people are kind of giving him a pass this week, obviously, because last week his uh, longtime head coach passed away due to COVID. Uh, so there are some external factors going into this fight, but you got to believe he's going to be fired up as soon as he steps inside that cage and hoping to make his coach happy this weekend. 
I'm going with Mundo Martinez. I don't mind a sprinkle on the under two and a half either, which I or under one and a half either, which I think is roughly around even money at this point in time. But I don't mind that fight doesn't go to decision, which is a little bit chalky, but could be a damn good parlay piece if you guys want to juice up anything uh, on the rest of the card. I'm going Martinez first round knockout. Wizzy, I'll push it on over to you. How do you see this matchup going between these two firecrackers? Yeah, you know, I think fight doesn't go to this to decision is probably one of the safest parlay pieces on the card. I just got to feel that this is a is a great violent spot here. If you watch Kennedy in the fights that he loses, he's like chucking heat in that first uh, round. You know, he he's trying to finish his opponent, and we all know how hard Mana Martinez hits when you know he, all of your wins have come inside the distance by knockout. Not unlike Abdul Razak Al Hassan, you know I me. Mean? <laughs> you're you're getting people out of there early and this dude is 41 years old so it's kind of hard to be like you know I, i'm gonna bet on the 41 year old bantamweight you know if that bet doesn't cash you're gonna look yourself in the mirror that night and be like i'm a dumbass what was i doing you know so yeah i mean you gotta go with mana martinez here i love the violent spot a couple interesting uh narrative related things on this fight uh mana's coach just passed away saul solis last week i believe it was so um, and then you've got the four-pound weight miss in addition to that. So I'm not sure how that's going to play into this, but I still love the fight doesn't go to decision. And, and you got to think that Mana gets it done inside the distance. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Luke, I'm going to throw it on over to you. I want to get your perspective on what you think about the line in particular. Personally, I think it's a little bit wide. I think Kennedy could be a little bit more live than the plus 235 indicates. What do you feel about the underdog here? And then ultimately, who do you think wins this fight? Yeah, off the top, in terms of the in general, just money line. I think it is wide. I think I cap Martinez like minus 200. Uh, personally, uh, I'm pretty vocal about it every week. These guys coming in that are first round finishers, no evidence that they can win a decision. That's not to say they can't, but there's just no historic evidence that they can uh, when those fights are, 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 you know, extended. So because of that, it's hard for me to, you know, get all the way up to close to that 75% mark. But uh, to, you know, your points and Wheezy's points, uh, Kennedy only defense strikes at 50%, uh, Chuck's heat. Uh, he's just one of those guys who I think is going to force, uh, force big exchanges in this fight as well. And just kind of play into that, into that game of, uh, Martinez. But what I will say is I am just giving Kennedy a little bit more credit in the matchup than most people, just because I think he does have a potential wrestling path in this fight. He lands, I think over two and a half takedowns per 15 minutes and gets him at a reasonably high clip. That is where we have seen, uh, Martinez struggle on contenders with Draco and even going back to his first pro loss, uh, there was a significant wrestling component uh, in that fight as well. So still some some questions on on the wrestling of Martinez. So, I mean, I really wouldn't be shocked if if Kennedy, if he did, didn't just go life or death here in the first five minutes and just said, I'm going to, you know, dive on legs for 15 minutes and Martinez hasn't upped his his takedown defense or defensive grappling. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked, but I, I I would say if you're going to bet Kennedy, I think it's just a better live spot. Um, you know, obviously you might not be getting that kind of value. Uh, you would pre-fight, assuming that's the path he takes and he looks good. But, man, that's going to be a sweaty uh, sweaty first five. And kind of to Weezy's point, if you make that bet and he goes out there and gets dinged, you know, you're kind of like, well, <laughs> why'd I do that? So uh, I don't I don't hate him as a live leg, but... Uh, yeah, that, that striking defense, uh, his willingness to force exchanges, I think kind of plays into the hands of Mr. Martinez. I like it. I like it. Andrew, wrap this uh, breakdown up for us. Who do you like in this matchup between Martinez and Canetti? Yeah, so these guys covered the uh, the violence part of it. I like the under. I think there's a, a few ways to play this fight. I like the under 1-5. I got in on that fight. doesn't go the distance at minus 196, so I think Damn. that's a really solid <laughs> spot. 
I think that's probably like a 75, 80% outcome. Um, and I'm also on the Guido's money line as well. I think got plus 241 on that. And I'm, I'm kind of indifferent to the whole, like, if he goes out and gets killed, I'll, I'll be like, what the heck? Like, I know what I'm getting into. I'm, I'm fine playing that plus 241 number, whether it cashes or not. I think um, Mana Martinez hasn't really fought anyone uh, worthwhile and maybe he is good, but he's a lot of first round knockouts on the regional scene. Like you guys said, and a lot of them are kind of guys just went out soft. Like it, I don't know that necessarily he's the biggest hitter. I think sometimes he just kind of landed in a, in a way that put these guys out and, and it's not to take anything away from him. I just don't really think he's warranted to be minus 300 or whatever he is in the spot. So under fight doesn't go the distance. Kennedy, I think are all decent ways to play this. I always find it interesting when a guy gets a shot out in contender series and ends up losing, but still finds his way back to the UFC, even without the contender series. And uh, Mano Martinez is definitely one of those guys that uh, fits that bill. Shout out to our guy, Cody Merrow, in the chat, tuning in, watching us. Uh, Mr. Uh, Anakin Florian over there and a bunch of other stuff that he does. I love to see my guy, Cody Merrow, uh, jumping in the comments section here. But we're here to break down some fights and not jerk each other off. So next up, we got Pat Sabatini going up against Jamal Emers. Uh, interesting line here in terms of uh, we got Jamal Emers around minus 140, plus 120 is the return on Pat Sabatini. Uh, Jamal Emers was the last one to weigh in. A lot of people were concerned about how we would look on the scale, but he hits 145.5 as soon as he steps on the scale and looks cut the fuck up. The guy looks in great shape. Hopefully, uh, he doesn't have too much cardio issues to worry about once he actually gets into there. So, Weezy, I'm actually going to throw it over to you to uh, break down this fight for us uh, first and foremost. I'm kind of bummed that these two are even fighting each other because what I've seen out of these guys is, you know, both pretty fantastic. You know, Emmer's performance against Cachero was pretty damn close to flawless. Um, and then the Chikadze fight, I was infuriated with him because he didn't try a takedown for seven minutes. And the second he tried it, uh, Chikadze folded like a lawn chair and he got two minutes of control time. He did get turned, you know, he got reversed, but, um, I really like everything that Embers brings to the table, except for the fight IQ that I saw in the Chikadze fight. But the guy's long, his striking is damn good. Those knees up the middle are vicious. And he's got really good wrestling in his back pocket. And then you look at a guy like Sabatini, he's got knockout power in his hands. His last win uh, before the UFC was by, um, or his second to last win over to Tony was a brutal knockout in the first round. Um, the guy's got great wrestling and he's got incredible jujitsu. So, you know, I, I don't know how this fight's going to play out. I, I really wish that, uh, I really wish that these guys weren't fighting each other. But when I see Sabatini at plus 130, and I kind of think that the fight is just really close to, you know, I think maybe the values on Sabatini here just because he has shown a little bit better fight IQ than Jamal Emmers. Um, I think he might be, I think he's not the best athlete. In I mean, Emmers is going to be the better athlete here, but I think that Sabatini might be the more well-rounded guy because of that jujitsu that he has is, is, you know, really able to finish fights. And I think that the wrestling and the fight IQ will allow him to win some minutes here too. So I, my side, if I were to bet this, but I'm not, I haven't bet it yet, would be to take the plus money on Sabatini. I like it. Luke, I feel like I'm always ramming my head up against the wall whenever I want to bet Jamal Emmers. Yeah, I mean, he goes out there and just 
you know, wrestles when he shouldn't wrestle and strikes when he shouldn't strike. Most notably the Giga Chikadze and the Julian Arosa fight way back on the Contender Series. Uh, but his striking doesn't look too bad, and I feel like he's going to need that here against a guy like Pat Sabatini. And I think defensively speaking with his wrestling, it should be good enough to kind of fend off what Sabatini brings to the table. What do you think this fight's going to look like? Do you think we see grappling exchanges, or do you think we see it play out in the, in the stand-up realm? And then obviously, who do you think ends up winning? I think the grappling is really interesting, and honestly, that's that's the main reason why I'm passing on Emmers. I've seen a lot of really strong takes on him this week, and I definitely get it from uh, a certain perspective. I was almost convinced going into research that I was going to be betting Emmers, but really in watching a lot of his fights, he hasn't really ever been aggressively wrestled by like anybody, and Pat Sabatini is going to come out here for better or for worse, and he is going to shoot takedowns uh, and at least try. Uh, I think Emmers does largely have pretty good takedown defense, but uh, you know, circling back again, we just haven't seen someone really just go out there and kind of dive on his legs. So I'm not necessarily uh, sold on how that uh, part particularly plays. And Sabatini is a black belt as well. I know Emmers is a brown belt uh, in jujitsu, um, but we haven't seen a ton of Jamal Emmers on his back either. So um, it's it's kind of like a really primary consideration in the fight for me to just not like toss aside essentially, and just say, oh, I think he stuffs takedown, so we find and boxes him up. He definitely could. That's actually my official prediction for the fight, but I guess I just don't have uh, as much of a strong degree of confidence as other people do just because we haven't really seen him fight in an archetype of a Sabatini uh, before. And coupled with the fact, too, I think given the the size and length advantage for Emmers, uh, that's even just more of a reason why Sabatini needs to get inside to a uh, to try to win this fight. So my official prediction is, uh, is Jamal Emmers, uh, to just win a striking based decision, but, um, Sabatini is going to go out there and try to maximize his win condition. So I like it. I like it. Andrew, I always like talking about wrestling fights with you, especially with this one. We got Sabatini and Emmers, both with wrestling backgrounds. Uh, you yourself with the wrestling background as well. How do you rate their wrestling? And ultimately, who do you think ends up getting their hand raised here? Yeah, so I played Emmers um, at evens in this matchup. I played him at minus 110. Um, it was the first fight I taped on this card. I had a feeling I, I liked it pre-tape. Confirmed my thoughts when I watched back their last few fights. I was on Sabatini against uh, Connolly. Um, I thought that was a good spot for him. And it's funny because if, if I had to draw up a fighter that'd be a tough matchup for Sabatini, it'd pretty much be Jamal Emmers. Someone who has that wrestling background, who has that jiu-jitsu credential. He's bigger. He's more athletic. He's better on the feet. And I, I think... Um, Sabatini's cardio um, concerned me a little bit in that fight against Connolly. I mean, he dropped the third round on all three judges' scorecards after pretty much dominating the first two rounds. So I, I kind of um, – and another thing, I'm not not usually – anyone who knows me, who follows me on Twitter, who follows my bets, anything like that, knows I'm not a stats guy. But I think it's worth noting that Emmers uh, outstruck Giga, Giga Chikadze at distance 54 to 38. So um, he, it's very clear to me that he's a much better striker here. I think he's – bigger, more athletic, and with all those advantages, I, I cap him probably closer to like minus 200. I like it. Yeah, that, my, my thoughts honestly ring true with Andrew and Luke as well. I do like Emmers in this spot, but the fact that we just haven't seen him get wrestle-fucked to the way that Sabatini is probably going to come to the table here, that gives me a little bit of pause, but I do think that his grappling background should allow him to stay out of too much trouble here, and then with the striking advantage, I think that he's going to pretty much have his way uh, in, in the striking realm. I've heard from somebody that's kind of 
close to the Sabatini camp saying that they're really working on his striking. But until you actually see it inside the cage, it's very difficult to say that he's actually made those improvements, especially against a, a veteran like Jamal Emers, who's pretty much been striking a lot longer or at least been putting more work into that a lot longer than what Pat Sabatini is bringing to the table. So yeah, I don't have too much to add to what these guys have already said. I am taking Emers myself as well. I do think he ends up winning this fight via decision. All right, let's move on to the next fight. The fight that everybody wants to talk about. We got JJ Aldrich against Vanessa Demopoulos here. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 400 for Aldrich. Never thought I would say those words ever together in my life, but here we are. Minus 400, JJ Aldrich going up against plus three, 355, Vanessa Demopoulos. Luke, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off, brother. I think that the main narrative out there is JJ, JJ is going to win this fight. How does she win this fight? Unless you're going to throw a wrench into my plans here and say Vanessa Demopoulos wins this fight. How do you feel about this? Yeah, I think it's a pretty sizable, uh, good spot for JJ Aldrich. Now, I guess you can then kind of get into the argument is minus 400 getting a little too crazy. I personally put her right there, but I can see definitely going down to maybe like minus 300 just because I don't think the finishing upside is is very high for her. She's, you know, historically a decision machine. Demopolis' striking defense is no good. Uh, that's 100% uh, needs to be noted in this fight. Uh, but I've seen her take a lot of punishment before and she keeps coming and actually uh, looked good in one ladder rounds against Lupita Godinez after, you know, dropping... Uh, the early rounds of that fight too. I know Godinez is smaller. Uh, I get that Aldridge solid boxing, good left hand. Um, but yeah, I, I just think her, her win condition and in regards to Demopolis is so small, you know, 10th planet black belts will pull guard. Um, will just legitimately stay on her back for the entirety of rounds and try to lock people up there. Anytime I've seen Aldridge in top position, she's largely looked pretty fine. Um, so yeah, maybe if, if Demopolis had more offensive wrestling upside, uh, I would see it. But even at her general submission game, I don't think is that crafty for the credentials of a 10th planet black belt, just in my opinion. Um, and it's a short notice fight uh, and, sh and she's undersized here uh, up at 125 for the first time in her career. So I've been a big JJ Aldrich truther for a while. Uh, I don't think she's necessarily, you know, going to gonna be a, a top 15 girl necessarily, but I think she's just a solid um archetype to beat mid to low uh tier girls at a, at a very high clip uh especially in this division so uh, i think it's a good spot for jj yeah i would definitely like to see vanessa actually down at 115 pounds which is where she should be fighting but albeit this is the short notice nature of the fight andrew uh Outside of like a, a Hail Mary submission from Demopolis, do you give her any other win conditions in this fight? And then ultimately, how do you think JJ Aldridge gets this fight done? Yeah, not really. I mean, um, like you guys touched on already, Aldridge, first time not being the smaller girl in the octagon. Um, and if she can't finish this fight, then she'll never finish one, honestly. Demopolis is super hittable on the feet. Finally, JJ's not going to be smaller. Her, her, She can't, like you said, she's a 10th planet black, black belt. Can't get the fight to the mat unless someone else takes it there. Very hittable. Where's the damage on her face? So I actually took a shot at uh, Aldridge inside the distance at plus 400. And I took a shot on round three at plus 2,000. So I think um, Aldridge gets it done. I think her finishing late, like via damage or just late TKO, I think it's actually a pretty likely outcome in this fight. So in my opinion, that's a great way to attack this one. 
if for guys Z's MMAs in the chat, I'm sure he's jumping out of his seat right now. So yes, somebody <laughs> agrees with me, but unfortunately I don't agree with you. See, I do think that JJ Aldridge wins this fight. I do think she wins it by decision. I see the argument in terms of being the bigger fighter. And like, we haven't seen JJ Aldridge fight somebody that much smaller than her. I believe she's going to have like a three or four inch height advantage as well as a five or six advantage uh, reach uh, inch reach advantage as well. Uh, but again, she doesn't seem like a girl that has the crazy power behind her shots. And I think that there is merit to Andrew's argument in terms of a cumulative damage that you could possibly see a late finish in this spot. But I do think that we'll see her kind of just play it safe, especially in those like grappling situations. If Aldrich does decide to take this to the ground and kind of just play in guard there, she's got to be very disciplined. I think the way that she's going to win this fight is just keeping her on the feet. Hard nose striking, you know, Chris straight shots down the middle, just stay in Demopolis's face and just, you know, continue, maybe push her up against the cage, get some control time there as well. Um, Demopolis, again, I, I'd be surprised if she wins by any other way by, you know, arm bar from guard or something like that. I think that's pretty much the, the only way she ends up winning this fight. I, I'd take Aldrich, Aldrich by decision. I think it's around minus 170. A little bit chalky, especially for a prop bet, but I feel like that's the best way that Aldrich is actually going to win this fight. Weezy, do you have anything to add to this fight, or are you going to give any more credence to uh, Demopolis in the spot? Just, just I'm going to say that Vanessa Demopolis is very opportunistic, but I mean, you know, she's going to need the she's going to need a miracle to pull this one off on short notice, up a weight class, the much smaller girl, um, and like you guys covered, you know, it, it would be interesting if she had offensive wrestling. You know, if we could see her, if we have seen her in the past getting takedowns, shooting single legs, double legs, getting trips or sweeps or anything like that, but we just don't. Even in the fight against Corey McKenna, she was very aggressive from her back, but she only had 1.33% control time in that fight, and Corey McKenna had 74% control time in that fight. So, I mean, just talk about getting absolutely dominated and blanketed on the ground, and then all we got to do is go back to Aldrich's last fight. And, and noticed that she got several takedowns against Courtney Casey and was kind of big sistering Courtney Casey, who's not a small girl by any stretch of the imagination. JJ showed some pretty good offensive wrestling. So I don't really see Demopolis getting this to the ground. You know, people say that her win condition is a arm bar from guard. I believe that it's an inverted triangle choke, just like the Sam Hughes <laughs> fight. But I'll tell you, man, I, until Andrew had brought up the uh, plus 2,000 third round prop, I hadn't even thought about something like that. And while I really don't think that Aldrich is going to get Demopolis out of there because the girl is stupid tough. And all yeah, if, if you've watched tape on Demopolis, you got to hit her in the head with a frying pan to get her out of there. So if it were to happen, I think it would be a cumulative thing like Z had talked about, you know, like the referee stepping in and stopping it on the feet. If that happens, it'll be after a shit ton of damage. Third round plus 2,000. I might even take a look at that. I like that bet. Uh, yeah. yeah, most guys know me as that round three guy. I like I love to him too. That round three spot. And Andrew, I'm probably gonna take a little bit of a sprinkle on that myself. Yeah. And I will definitely give you credit if that shit hits. Yeah. I feel like you wanted to add something, Andrew. No, I just said let's go. <laughs> let's fucking go. I love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Dustin Jacoby going up against Darren Stewart. Uh, very intriguing fight here in terms of odds. We're looking roughly around minus 180 for Jacoby and plus 160, plus 165 for Darren Stewart. Andrew, we're actually going to keep it with you, brother. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I like Dustin Jacoby here. Not exactly a crazy take, but he's bigger. He's the better striker. Um, I don't think Stewart's meant for the weight class. And um, even at 185, I don't like Stewart's one of those guys you kind of know what you're going to get. He's decent everywhere. He's not great anywhere. 
Um, I like Jacoby's striking. I, I played uh, Qutalaba in that last fight. They ended up going to a draw, but um, obviously Qutalaba had a lot of wrestling success in the first round. Outside of that, kind of gassed, and Jacoby took over from there. Um, and even in the at first round, Jacoby wasn't easy to hold down. So I, I have a hard time seeing Darren Stewart taking him down and holding him down. I mean, that's his path to victory, but I, I just don't see it happening. I think this line should be a little bit wider. Yeah, I like that take as well. I'm very, I'd be very surprised if Darren Stewart has any grappling success in this fight. He might hit a takedown or two, but I don't think he's going to be successful in terms of holding down Jacoby. And then the size difference is very evident, obviously, at the weigh-ins here. Uh, it seems like Darren Stewart's just happy with that 205-pound diet, right? The guy's like, I don't got to cut an extra 20 pounds. Let me just fucking stay up here and see if I can make my name up here. Like, we've seen it from guys in the past before. Like, if you guys remember, Gilbert Burns was one of those guys that took a short notice fight up a weight class and then decided to just say, fuck it, I'm going to stay at 100. 70 pounds unfortunately for darren stewart though he's not gilbert burns this is gonna work out not this is not gonna work out well for him at all uh i think dustin jacoby you know um kind of defends the takedowns and the grappa heavy approach from uh darren stewart early here and then starts to let his kicks and hands go and i actually think he ends up getting the finish in this spot i did take a sprinkle on the under two and a half around plus 135 as i do think that there's finishing opportunities for both guys here let's not forget darren stewart does have some big power in his hands so if he does end up connecting on jacoby he has a chance of knocking him out as well but i do think that once darren stewart says fuck it in regards to trying to grapple fuck uh jacoby here i think he's gonna start to slow down uh his strikes he's gonna have to close a distance a lot easier uh, it's gonna be a lot harder sorry for him to close the distance here and then i believe he's gonna start to gas and i think that we'll see jacoby start to open up and probably finish him in the maybe second or third round of this fight but i do like that doesn't go to decision and obviously the under two and a half i'm going jacoby i'm going jacoby second round tko wheezy how do, you, how do you feel about this matchup? Do you got any interesting statistics regarding this matchup that actually, you know, kind of stick out to you? You know, the stats, Jacoby's got, um, if you look at Jacoby's uh, striking stats in the UFC, they're, they're pretty damn impressive, actually. He lands 4.45. He only absorbs 3.35. So that's a nice striking ratio. He's got some nice power. He's averaging 0.61 knockdowns per 15 minutes. He's landing a knockdown on nine-tenths of 1% of the uh, significant strikes that he lands. And, you know, Stewart landing at 45%. His defense is 49%. He's he's actually absorbing more than he lands. If you look at it, this fight just from a purely striking um, uh, viewpoint at the stats, it's it's Jacoby all day. Um, but, what you know, I don't think Jacoby won the Grishin fight. I think he lost that fight. I think he got gifted a draw against Kudalaba because that was a 10-8 first round, but then the next two rounds were close. And, you know, I, I didn't think he deserved that draw. Um and I'm just not impressed by Jacoby, and, and I know that I have to lay minus 190 here. It's not like I'm going to be betting Stewart as an underdog. I don't have any faith here that he's going to be able to outgrapple Jacoby. If we look at Dustin, or, I mean, uh, Darren's uh, grappling numbers in the UFC, we don't really see anything that's going to elicit confidence that he can go out there and wrestle this dude. He's only got 31 takedown attempts in 13 fights. He's gotten 13 of them. He averages 1.56 takedowns per 15 minutes, but he's getting out-controlled by his opponents 16% to 35%. So that's not showing somebody that's going out there getting takedowns and using their wrestling and top game to win minutes, win rounds, and win fights. That's not Darren Stewart. So, you know, if I had to bet this fight, I'd probably take the plus money on Stewart, but I, I'm staying away. Yeah, the pick is probably Jacoby, but I I really don't know, man. I don't have a strong lean on this one either way. 
you guys are gonna have to help me out. <laughs> well, Luke's <laughs> gonna wrap it up here for us. Luke, actually, when I was running through the 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 odds on this fight or on this card before actually jumping into the tape, Stewart kind of stood out to me as a possible dog play here. I thought that the line was a little bit too wide, you know, pre-tape, and then after running the tape, obviously I come out on the other side. Do you share that same sentiment? Did you kind of think that Stewart was gonna be a live dog? And do you still think he is a live dog? Personally, not. Actually, Jacoby's probably one of my strongest takes on this whole card, personally. Uh, I know a lot of people reference the uh, the the Grishin and Kudalaba fight, but I mean, Grishin's a massive dude. He used to fight at heavyweight. Um, that needs to be noted. Kudalaba is a 205er through and through. He's not sniffing 185 pounds. Also comes from a strong Greco Sambo background. Um, good wrestler, obviously not the greatest gas tank, but people look, you know, that he got taken down nine times in that fight. But the levels in the wrestling between a Kudalaba and Darren Stewart uh, are pretty wide. And then just kind of even looking more so back at the numbers, I mean, Darren Stewart has really only outpaced one guy moderately significantly his entire career, and that was Deron Wynn, who's five foot six uh, and can't strike in as a in as a wrestler. So I just he he's just low volume. Uh, despite him having some pop, he's just not a, a perennial KO threat uh, either. Uh, Jacoby, glory kickboxer, high output, more diverse strikes. He's got that nasty calf kick, uh, which we know can uh, significantly alter the course of fights. Uh, has some pop uh, in his shots as well. So I just think the the win condition of Stewart is you know landing a couple knockdowns or him having a lot more wrestling success uh, than I'm anticipating in this fight. Because even to Andrew's point, despite him getting taken down nine times by Kudalaba, you know, he still showed a good get-up game and, you know, it was out of a total of 19 attempts too. So it actually wasn't that bad hindsight uh, 2020. And I think both those fights need to be put into context. So I think it's a it's a good spot for uh, Jacoby to show out if he, if he can just remain defensively responsible, stuff some takedowns. I think he works his way to a, a dominant decision, if not uh, get Stewart out in uh, two or three. Yeah, definitely seeing him get back to his feet, you know, nine, ten times against Iwan Kutalaba was very impressive, especially considering how many takedowns he gave up in that fight, right? So he's working on his grappling game. He's working on his ability to get back to his feet, and it's definitely showing off in these fights. Uh, but, yeah, let's see how it goes down this weekend against Mr. Darren Stewart. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Sam Alvey, 0-5-1 and in his last six fights, going up against Wellington Terman. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 120 for Terman uh, and plus 100-ish for Sam Alvey. I'll kick this breakdown offer you guys pretty binary fight to break down right you got sam alvey who's always going to be on his back foot always up against the cage uh but still has heavy leather that he can throw and knock people out with uh wellington Turbin, on the other hand much more well-rounded i feel like if he ha has success in this fight uh he has to play the like a perfect fight like he has to pitch a perfect game pretty much here uh land takedowns stay away from the big power of sam alvey um and, and just grind out a decision victory here but you know, as bad as Sam Alvey has looked over, like, recently, takedown defense still kind of holds up. Get Ability to get back to his feet still kind of holds up. Um, so I think it's going to be very difficult for Wellington to determine to grind this fight out without getting hit a couple times. And, man, his durability has just not looked good over the last couple fights. I think the Andrew Sanchez fight, like, that Andrew Sanchez by knockout was probably the least predictable outcome in that fight. And not a lot of people believed that Andrew Sanchez could get it done there. But 
he got some newfound uh, confidence in his hands and he let him go on uh Wellington term and paid for it that night Sam Alvey I feel like he still has some crack and pop in his shots um it's hilarious that he's only 34 years old because it feels like the guy's been in the MMA game for fucking ever um but I do like um what he brings to the table in terms of just his power I feel like that's all he needs here I think the best way to play this fight if you're playing it at all is probably just taking the plus 300 on Alvey by knockout because I think that's probably his best win condition in this fight um and I don't mind that spot, man. Uh, he's fighting for his job, clearly. Like I said, 0-5-1 in his last six fights. Not a good luck. Has a has a draw sandwich in there somewhere with Dao Unyoung. But uh, yeah, man, I, I feel like he has enough power to go out there and put out uh, Mr. Wellington Terman. The last thing I'll say about this, I gotta say, he looked kind of sketchy walking up to the scale today uh, in terms of like just his, just his overall body language and all that stuff. Maybe the weight cuts going down to 185 pounds are starting to catch up to him because he got so comfortable up there at 205 pounds having as many as fights as he did up there before coming back down last fight. Um, but I, I do like Alvi here. Again, he's probably going to be losing this fight. 99% and then comes back and just hits that knockout spot. It feels like a Derek Lewis kind of fight where you know the other guy is more than likely going to be winning the majority of the fight, and you're just waiting for that one shot to come through for Sam Alvey. And also, last thing I'll say about this matchup, when Sam Alvey is my second most confident dog on a on a UFC card, that just lets you know that, you know, I don't really think that there's many live dogs on this card to begin with. I am picking Sam Alvey. I'm picking Sam Alvey by knockout. Plus 300 for that prop is a gift, in my opinion, if you think Alvey wins this fight. So I'm going to be taking a little bit of a sprinkle on that. Wheezy. How do you feel about this matchup between Smiling Sam and Wellington Terman? I've already got a unit on Sam Alvey here. Um, when I, when Brady and I were doing stat diggers on Sunday, we were kind of just going through the numbers. And as I was reading them off, Brady actually bet Alvey while I was reading <laughs> off the stats. And, and I told him after the show that I was going to bet him. He's like, man, I already did, <laughs> you know, after you read off all that stuff. But here's the, here's the um, compelling parts that are in the stats for Sam Alvey, and that's you know, that he's successfully defended 47 out of 57 takedown attempts against them, you know, and, and we obviously know that the path to victory here for Terman is not standing up and banging with Sam Alvey, not after getting knocked out, not once, but twice brutally in 2021, you know, uh, and the silver one was just two months ago. And man, he was unconscious for that one. That was a bad one. Took the referee a minute to get in there. So coming off those knockouts, um, trying to grapple somebody like Sam Alvey, who's been notoriously hard to take down for a very long time. And in, in addition to that, Sam Alvey's a one-dimensional fighter. We know that he's just a counterpuncher who looks for the knockout. So he is the kind of guy that people try to wrestle. They try to get him out of his comfort zone. They're never successful. This guy's been taken down 10 times, but only controlled 14% of his UFC career. And that's on 57 takedown attempts against. So he is notoriously hard to get down. If you do get him down, he's even harder to keep down. So in that type of a fight, you got to believe that we're going to see this take place mostly on the feet. And then it's just a matter of time before Sam catches that chin. So I've got Sam at plus 130 earlier in the week. You know, So the line has moved. But now that you're mentioning that plus 300 from by KO, I think I might be adding a quarter or a half unit to my bet to throw on that because that's I, I feel is his best win condition here Terman's uh chin has been checked twice this year and badly so I could see uh Alvy easily getting this done inside the distance 
this could, this could also be another fight that you kind of just target from a round betting perspective as well, right? I feel like Terman will get more sloppy as this fight goes on and potentially opens up more finishing opportunities for Alvi. Alvi to win in round three is plus 1250. You know, not too bad. Uh, worth a little bit of a sprinkle there, in my opinion. Uh, Luke, uh, I'm glad that Weezy actually brought it up. The quick turnaround here for Wellington Terman is a little bit sketchy, right? You just get deaded less than two months ago, and here you are against another heavy puncher against uh, Sam Alvi. That can't be good, right? How do you feel this matchup is going to go down? Yeah, I think Alvi's the side. Uh, it's 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 a pass for me. I think if you got in around that plus one thirty uh, mark or so, I think that's decent. But it's one of those fights where it seems like everybody's on Alvi, and it almost seems too easy that it could be like a trap. <laughs> to be yeah. honest, because historically, I I mean, I definitely get it from a stylistic perspective. Like I can't dis disagree at all with the with the fact that Sam Alvi's shown elite level takedown defense terms of black belt and jujitsu, you know, that's his best path. So given that, that, that limits his upside, but the reality is Sam Alvey is also incredibly low output. His optics are horrible. He gets stuck against the fit, uh, against the cage. Um, so if he doesn't put him out, would I be shocked if Terman just like, it, it was like a clinch battle for 10 minutes where Terman got control time. They both landed reasonably equal amount of peppering shots. Um, and he won that way, I guess not really. So, so because of that, it, it's it's a pass for me. But I do think um, it's a decent knockout spot for Sam Alvey. So yeah, I guess I would given the just the historic poor minute winning ability of Sam Alvey coupled with his poor optics, I'd rather uh, just take a plus number on on Alvey uh, KO than his money line. Just because even in this fight, despite Terman being low output, I still don't think like his margin of winning minutes here is like gigantic by any means so that's just my take yeah no i absolutely agree with you there it's very tough to put money on a guy like alvi considering how he fights and you're just banking on that ko so why not just take that ko prop uh andrew do you see this fight going down any other way than we've broken it down or do you pretty much agree with us yeah i actually do have a little bit of an opinion here a uh, different opinion here finally so we could get a little a little mixed up but i think um I think the best play on this fight is the under 2-5. I played minus 110 on that, and I, I think th there's a few reasons why it's a good spot. Terman was knocked out unconscious, like fully unconscious two months ago. That is an extremely, extremely quick turnaround time for someone who just was removed of their consciousness. Sam Alvey four months ago was almost knocked unconscious and then choked unconscious. So I think both these guys are coming back really fast off of being finished. Um, turn, and if you watched any of Terman's fights, like it's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. He charges forward, throws bombs, is extremely hittable. And, and that's the way he fights. And if you watch a Sam Alvey fight, he does the same thing every time. He circles to the back of the cage and he gets ready to throw bombs when the other guy charges in. And I think they're each going to give each other the exact fight that they want. And I think they're just going to trade bombs until someone falls. I don't have a strong opinion on who that's going to be. And I think um, – I can't remember who was making the point, but I think it was Wheezy that that uh, Sam – I don't – like some people are like, oh, Terman could like grapple his way to victory here. Like I really don't see that happening. Alvey's pretty – pretty sound defensive grappler from what I've seen. And um, Terman has pretty good jujitsu, but his wrestling isn't anything special. And like I said, he's, he historically walks forward, charges in, gets ready to throw bombs. And I think one of them is going down. You got some audio going on in the background there. <laughs> there you go. PFL is letting me know that I'm, I'm losing bets over here. <laughs> I think you said you lost on Hendricks. Is that correct? That yeah, Shepard looking um, motherfucker. 
I got some of the, I got some of Camozzi live though because I was I was like watching out of the corner of my eye. Classic overcorrection. He got dominated the first round, second round. He just ended up on top in a scramble some somehow, but it was clear that he was uh he was not winning that fight. And so I got some minus two fifty on the other side. So a little bit of a uh, good little hedge there. <laughs> yeah. So you you like the under two and a half here with Alvian Terman? Yeah, I, I like that angle. I, I can see a finish from either side here. Cool. Yeah, I, I like it. We'll, we'll see. All right, perfect, perfect. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got Abdul Razak Al Hassan going up against Alessio Di Carico. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the prelim headliner. Uh, we got minus 230 sitting on uh, Alessio Di Carico, plus 210 on uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan and Weezy. I'm actually going to let you kick this one off, brother. How do you feel about this matchup between these two guys? Yeah, I got a strong take on this one. This one is, uh, I got this one down as my ass shaving of the week, man. I, I just think this is going to be one way traffic all, all the way through. I'm done. With Abdul Razak Al Hassan, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me thrice, then I'm just bad if I bet on you again. So <laughs> I'm not letting him do it to me four times in a row. And you know, I think we've learned enough about him after the layoff to know that this is not the pre-layoff Abdul Razak Al Hassan. With that was starching everybody. He's got one win condition. That's the first round knockout. He's not a well-rounded mixed martial artist. He's got terrible takedown defense, and he he's his only path to victory is checking your chin early, and Alessio DiCirico has never been knocked out. And then if we look at recent fights for DiCirico, he's already bought, he's already beaten bigger and better versions of Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who are actual middleweights, not just blown up welterweights. And that's Joaquin Buckley, Julian Marquez, and Bang Bose. All those guys are probably just better versions at this point uh, than Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. So you've got some fights on this card, you know, like Mana Martinez, J.J. Aldrich, um, Muradov, and Petrosky that are all huge favorites. But I think some of the best value is on DiCirico. I got him at minus 240. I've got two units on it. And like I said, this is my ass shaving of the week. I, I just don't see Abdul Razak Al-Hassan having any way to win this fight. DiCirico is too tough. He's too well-rounded, and if he doesn't like how it's going on the feet, he can just exploit Abdul Razak Al-Hassan's 54.76% takedown defense and the fact that Abdul Razak Al-Hassan has been taken down 5.16 times per 15 minutes. So he can do this however he wants. If he wants to knock him out like he did Buckley, he could do that. If he wants to you know, drag this fight against the cage, you know, fill up his arms with blood and tire him out and finish him late, he could do that as well. I mean, this guy survived three rounds on the feet with Mahmoud Miradov. I'm not worried about Abdul Razak Al-Hassan chin-checking him. So, yeah, uh, DiCirico by ass-shaving. Let's just keep it nice and simple. I never thought I'd hear the name Bang Bus again or Oluwale Pomboche again, but <laughs> it does definitely uh, ring true here in this matchup. Luke, I, I, the thing that I find most interesting about this matchup is the odds from their last fights, right? You got Abdul Razak Al-Hassan as a minus 300 favorite to Jacob Malkun, shits to bed. Alessio Di Carico fighting a similar fighter to who he's fighting now uh, as a plus 230 underdog and pulls off the upside. Now he's the one who's the minus 250, minus 300 favorite against a, a style that you're supposed to be a my, uh, plus 230 against. Uh, what do you think about that line, first and foremost? And then how do you see this fight going down? Yeah, I can't really disagree with anything Wheezy says. Uh, uh, you know, I, can't, I, I largely agree, but I've always been a... I've always been a bit lower on DiCarico uh, just because I actually think 
from a skill set standpoint, he's actually pretty good. I think his wrestling is is underrated, but the problem is he doesn't wrestle a lot. I think his hands are decent. The problem is he doesn't throw a lot of strikes, and because of it, he's just found himself uh, in a lot of close fights. But I mean, there's just no real evidence that Al Hassan can do anything out of the first round here, uh, and I think uh, he defends strikes uh, not Al Hassan but Decrico at like 62 percent too. So. He's, he's proven durable uh, because of that. I largely think it's a good spot for him, but I've, I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. I think I might honestly just lay the money line because, like I said, I just don't see what any any decision equity for for Al Hassan, despite the despite the you know volume issues I have with Takiriko historically, just because Al Hassan just has nothing has absolutely nothing left in in two or three. But so I think I might lay it, but I still might cover my ass a little bit and take like a half a unit on Al Hassan round one KO at like plus five, six fifty. Like usually to play Al Hassan round one KO, you're paying like minus 100. I get it. He's durable, good defense, not a good spot. Probably doesn't happen, but that is his win condition. He will try to maximize it nonetheless. And so I guess I'd, I'd like to have maybe just a bit more uh, insurance if I was to lay um, this price on DiCirico. Cause I, I guess I don't really see any other outcome. Uh, you know, Al Simon would have to finish him in two or three or or win a decision, which he's never done before, you know, either of them. So that that's how I would approach it. I'd just say play the money line and then throw throw a little insurance on a round one KO for uh Razak. Yeah, Andrew, I'm glad that Luke brought up the props here for Al Hassan because it's not often that you see his round one at like plus 600 or his knockout at plus 300-ish. But that's the case here. Do you do you see any merit in those props here or do you like Decrico as well? Yeah, I'm, these guys covered pretty much everything. Um, Al Hassan in every single one of his fights thus far has proven that if he doesn't win in the first round by knockout, he loses the fight. Um, so I think if you're gonna play, if you are on the Al Hassan side here, you're gonna want to play that round one prop. You're gonna want to play that KO prop. There's no real reason to play the money line. Um, Dietrico, I think he has multiple ways to win the fight. I think he could mix in some wrestling potentially down the line. He just kind of has to avoid that early big shot, and I think he probably takes over from there. But I don't think anything I'm saying is totally um, not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to bother getting in too far into this breakdown because you guys pretty much covered it uh, from, from from top to bottom here. At, yeah, I think Dietrico uh, mm-hmm. Um, survives the first round, which is probably going to be the strongest for Al Hassan. Uh, and then after that, I think he takes over in rounds two and round three. The one thing I'll give Al Hassan, and I think that Uncle Weezy was kind of saying that, you know, he if D. Krieger wants to put him out, he could probably put him out. I got to give Al Hassan a little bit of credit in terms of his durability. Even though it looks like he's gassing a little bit, his durability is still all there. It's still difficult for people to put him away. And I'm not 100% sure if D. Krieger is going to be the guy to actually change that and, and be the guy that puts him away, right? I think Chaos Williams is the only guy that was actually able to get uh al hassan out of there all within what 30 seconds or so um but yeah i like d Carico here as well d Carico by decision is probably the way that i'd attack it uh the overs not too bad either luke you want to add yeah and i think it, uh, this could be just actually a, a really sneaky maybe not sneaky angle but quasi sneaky in the sense that i mean i guess what percentage even if you say out let's say al hassan just bombs on him d Carico survives but Al Hassan might win the first round here. And with that, you might get a decent line on DiCarico yes. live after one. I largely think the odds makers will be wise to it, but you'd still probably have to pay favorite money on them. But I think that could be another way you could go about it. Instead of laying, you know, 230 on him pre-fight, you might be able to get him, 
you know, minus 125, minus 150, even after dropping around. But still, you know, if you were to play the money line pre-fight, that is kind of still your assumption anyway. You knew that he was going to come out and try to bomb. You knew that there's a chance that Al Hassan still could win the first round based on damage and activity. So by playing it live instead of playing it pre-fight, you know, you limit the, the the main win condition of Al Hassan and you get a better price too, potentially. I remember trying to take that approach in the Malkun and Al Hassan fight, saying that, you know, if Malkun survives that first round, you're probably going to get an amazing number on him. Then he goes out there and wins the first round and fucking is like the favorite That's going true. into it. But 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 you're right, you're absolutely true. If Al Hassan has success in here, it's probably going to come in that first round and you might get slightly better money on uh LSU D Creek. I'd be surprised if it's anything better than minus one fifty, to be honest, if he does end up losing that first round. Andrew, you had to add yeah, I just wanted to say that I had Malkoon sub plus 1,600 in that Al-Hassan fight, and I had Malkoon round three at plus 2,400. So that's one of, the, one, of the worst, one of the worst beats that I think I've ever – not only that I've ever had, that I've ever seen. That one was hard to swallow. Yeah, especially Dude, if with you would have hit that, that would have been incredible. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> would've, you would have been, been like, you would have been the, the rock star for like a month. <laughs> yeah. I called Malcoon in the third round over Al Hassan, man. That would have been unbelievable. Absolutely. Dude, he had like he had like 18 rear naked choke attempts. And I was like, okay, this is the one. And he just never worked. I was like, all right, whatever. Watch D. Rico just absolutely starch him now. Just to just to spit yeah. it in your face now. <laughs> all right. Uh, that brings us to the main card. And I'd love to take this opportunity to remind you guys, hit that like, hit that subscribe. And I got all the Twitter accounts linked for these guys in the description below. So make sure you guys go shoot them a follow if you haven't already because they have already showcased that there's some sharp dudes so make sure you go show them some love and uh see whatever content they're dropping on a week-to-week basis because there's a ton of it i promise you all right let's move on to the main card here we got gerald mirshard going up against Mackwood muradov we got minus 660 now for muradov and plus 540 is the return on gerald mirshard uh i believe we're going to be moving on over to luke to start off the breakdowns here luke how do you feel about this matchup yeah, I don't think any hot takes here. Uh, I think Muradov <laughs> is is probably one of the worst style matchups you could you could throw GM three in there. When I saw this fight booked, I was like, you know, what's 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 the point? <laughs> you know, I, I know uh, GM three is a tough guy. Uh, he's game, crafty submission grappler, which is why I will just say I do think you know this price is getting just. A little, uh, just a, a little crazy, uh, just a tad bit crazy because he is a dangerous guy. The large majority of his wins do come inside the distance. There is a potential scenario I see of Muradov knocking him down. He survives. He goes into the guard of GM3. And now the people, even a hurt GM3 who have minus 700, minus 800 in their parlays might be uh, sweating a little bit in that capacity. But that's honestly really the only merit I see there. I don't see, you know, if if Muradov has any sense of fight at QI, he'd be wrestling here. He's faster, longer, more explosive, diversity of attack, uh, has power. I don't think he's like as big of a hitter as everybody thinks he is, but I do think he has power and it's enough to put out Mirshard if a guy in Ian Heinrich can go out there and, and, and flatline him, who's not a historic power puncher. So um it yeah, it's it, it's a solid fight for for Muradov. Uh my official prediction is actually a body shot KO, but we'll see. 
I like it. Calling your shot, Luke. I love it. Uh, Andrew, I actually had John uh, Stargarian on my show. or Well, we do the Propping You Up show together on Thursdays. And I'm like, if there's anybody that's going to give GM3 credence, it's my guy, John. And the only thing that he really said that kind of stood out to me was that he feels like a lot of people are kind of sleeping on the striking of GM3 in this spot. Um, not to a crazy extent, but thinks that it will be a little bit more live and he won't look like a you know fish out of water in the striking realm here. Do you give GM3 any chance or shot to win this fight how do you see it going down um yeah you're not gonna get any crazy opinions from me here i kind of thought muradov like 80 percent 80 yeah 80 percent was kind of fair might be getting a little out of hand now but i'm not running to the window to play gm3 i mean if it hits the ground gm you know how he is he's always live for a uh He's always live to make something happen in a scramble and I, I don't know i'm just not the kind of guy that's throwing those big numbers out there unless like i really really am positive and miradov's he i like him as much as anyone else is he's he's three but at the end of the day he's three and oh in the ufc and he beat like trevor smith deke chirico and dropped around andrew sanchez so i'm not rushing to play him at minus whatever the hell he is now i think this is just one that's fine to watch back and relax yeah, I do think that Muradov has some solid potential in the UFC here. I think he could probably crack that top 15 mark at a certain point, and he should go out there and cruise against a guy like GM3. Uh, I've seen takes and her takes that, uh, you know, people think that he has a cardio issue. I know he dropped that third round to Deke Rico in his UFC debut, but he did take that fight on short notice, and since then he's been able to generate three or two third-round knockouts to to proceed that. So I think that's more so just sticking it to the people that think he has a, he has a cardio issue. Um am i saying that it's non-existent no like it could probably show its head if he's going up there against a guy that's actually going to push the pace and the activity and we might see it rear its ugly head once again but gm3 is not that guy gm3 you know i think it's going to be a little bit difficult for him to push this into deep waters i think we'll see uh you know a little bit of uh defensive grappling from the muradov side of things i think he's gonna to have to you know stop a couple of takedowns and stop the clinch work that gm3 is probably going to try to put on there not to mention gm3 is one of the bigger 185ers as well i think i I wouldn't even be surprised if he's actually the stronger guy in the clinch in these positions, but I don't think the advantage is going to be that massive that Murdov is going to be, you know, drop into his back or anything like that. I think the hand speed of Muradov is going to be too much for GM3, and I think that's going to be the ultimate factor as to why I think he goes out there and gets the knockout in this fight. Does that happen early? Does that happen late? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, if they set the over-under at 2.5, I'd look at the under 2.5. The 1.5 is a little bit too sketchy, too sketchy for me in this spot, but I do like uh, Muradov to go out there and get the finish. Uh, another possible round 3 spot that I'm going to be looking at, I know it's only around plus 900, but again, the, the skill difference, especially in the striking year i think it's so massive that murdov will find that kill shot eventually i just don't know at what point wheezy you have anything to add to this matchup how do you see this one going down yeah let me just give you a couple little things here from mirror sharp because everybody and their brothers on uh murdov <laughs> including me you know yeah. I, I i i'm not picking mirror shark but you know murdov's on a 14 fight win streak right now and if you go to the tape index to watch tape on him, there's not even a loss in there. That's how long it's been since he's lost. So it's hard to know what this guy looks like when he loses because there's not even any tape on it. However, the stats do tell us that in Muradov's six career losses, four of them have come inside the distance, three of them by submission. So that's, you know, he's lost 50% of his fights by submission. And if there's one guy that's going to sub you in this division, it's Gerald Mearshart. The guy has got 32 career wins, 24 of them by submission. So, you know, 
there, there's, there's, this isn't, you know, a hundred percent outcome. You know, if, if, if Muradov slips up and, and this fight does go to the ground, you know, he's definitely live to finish the fight. However, Muradov is so good at, with his movement, with his footwork, um, his lateral movement while he's striking, the way he cuts angles in and out, um, the way he understands never to stand in front of his opponent. Um, Miradov's fights in the UFC thus far have taken place in the center of the cage at striking distance over 94% of the time. Damn. For for Mirshart, it's about 49% of the time. So we're seeing that clash in styles again where you got one guy that prefers to grapple and one, one guy that prefers to strike. But what we've seen so far out of Muradov, not only have we seen 100% takedown defense, but we, we see the footwork and the movement of a guy who's going to continue in the UFC fighting 94% of his fights at distance. And when you're distance striking with Mahmoud Muradov, I don't care who you are in this division, you're probably going to lose a three-round fight. So I'm picking Muradov here. Um, if you've bet the third-round prop on Muradov, you've cashed the last two times out. Third-round knockout against uh, Trevor Smith, third-round knockout against Andrew Sanchez. So maybe we look at a third straight third round knockout here for Muradov. It's only plus 900. I think I cashed plus 1400 on the last one. But um, yeah, I, I, I like Muradov quite a bit here. I think he's going to easily keep this fight on the feet and win a striking base decision or knock him out. He's getting close to your Romero territory with those, all those third round finishes. But Unlike Romero, he's actually winning most of these fights going into the third round. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Andre Petrovsky going up against Michael Gilmore. Uh, tough alums from this most recent Ultimate Fighter season. Minus 525 on Petrovsky, plus 450 on Michael Gilmore. And it's not often that you see them bring these guys from the Ultimate Fighter that never made it to the top. But if they see something in at least one of these fighters, they want to bring them back and give them another shot. Andrew, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off. What do you think about Petrovsky and Gilmore? You know, it feels like it's going to be a one-sided fight, but I'm interested to hear your breakdown for this one. Yeah, nothing special here. I think Petrovsky's going to probably take him down and submit him pretty quickly. I didn't like what I saw from um, um, from Gilmore's grappling at all, and Petrovsky's reliable to go out, shoot takedowns. Yeah, uh, no need to overcomplicate things here. I, I played the submission prop at plus 140. Normally, I wouldn't play a submission prop that low, but I think it happens more than half the time here. I like it as well. Um, <clears throat> I think that this is the biggest skill difference on the card to begin with, especially with Petrovsky's uh, grappling background and his jiu-jitsu background as well. Uh, I took the under one and a half. Rather than playing... Uh, uh, rather than playing Petrovsky at minus 525 or even parlaying him in this spot, th the good part of his or the better part of his win condition is to win this fight early. I think it happens within that first round. So taking that under one and a half at minus 150, I thought was a no-brainer here. Uh, I like Petrovsky as well. I think within 30 to 45 seconds, he probably grounds this fight and then starts to go to work and finds a finish quickly thereafter. But even in case Gilmore, who seems to have some power in his hands, if he goes out there and gets that knockout on a you know somewhat flaky striker Petrovsky who even when he closes distance it seems more so like a bull rush rather than anything kind of methodical trying to you know strike his way into distance if Gilmore catches him with a counter you know at least I'm not going to be on the hook for a minus 500 favorite here and actually cash the under one and a half as well 
Uh, I'd be surprised if Gilmore sees round two in this fight. The grappling difference is just so massive. Uh, all three of his professional losses coming under one and a half and via submission, not a good look. Let's make it four if you want to throw in the ultimate fighter fight with uh, Gilbert Urbina there. Uh, let's give him a little bit more slack on that one just because of the, the short notice nature that he took that fight on. But still, I think Petrosi absolutely blows him out of the water. Uh, again, uh, Andrew's right on the head here. You don't see people often playing those specific method of victory props at that plus 140 line but it feels like such a no-brainer in this spot don't overthink it don't overcomplicate it petroski should go out there get the finish relatively quickly take the under one and a half rather than laying that juice on the minus 500 parlays here uh yeah i like the under one and a half like i said petroski round one submission or tko I'd, I'd be kind of bummed if he ends up going out there and gets a ground and pound if I ended up taking the submission prop here. But I do like uh, Petroski. Even round one, I think, plus is plus 110, which I think is, you know, decent value, again, considering the, the level of skill difference here uh, between the two guys, especially in the grappling realm. And I have no doubt about it that Petroski is going to be diving for those legs within the first minute of this fight. Uh, Wheezy. I, I know there's no statistics really that you can dig into this one considering the lack of evidence or lack of uh, work that we actually have out there that has statistics behind it. But how do you see this one going down? Are we giving Petrosky too much love here or is Gilmore really that bad? Yeah, I mean, dude, you named the most important statistic here, and that's three losses outside the house, one loss inside the house, all inside the distance, all by submission. And what does Petrosky do? He wrestles, he takes you down, he beats you up, and then he he gets your neck. So, yeah, we don't want to overthink this one. The line is where it is for a reason. Petrosky by ass shaving. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that know. simple, dude. You, you, I'm not betting this dude Gilmore. Four losses all inside the distance by submission. That's how Petrosky wins. So, yeah, man, we don't want to overthink it. Before I hand it on over to Luke, if anybody's watching PFL right now, they got Gable Stevenson on again. Like, fuck this guy at this point. Like, I know he's a great wrestler and all that, and Andrew could probably tell us a little bit more about him. But God damn, what a little whore this guy has gone from WWE to the UFC to PFL to Bellator and all that shit. Like, Jesus, make up your mind already, dude. Luke, <laughs> what do you feel about this matchup between Petrovsky, albeit a wrestler himself, and Michael Gilmore? Yeah, no hot take. I'm with Andrew. I played the sub prop. Uh, as well, you know, maybe I get too cute with it, but I guess the reason I went with that is inside the distance line was all the way up to like minus 200. I mean, you could play that. Obviously, it's it's more safe, but I guess my rationale is, you know, going back to also him losing by sub in his last four fights. And actually, if you even go back to his amateur career, his last amateur loss came via submission uh, as well for just a little bit more <laughs> more meat on the bone. But the reason I'm I feel good about the sub prop at plus money is that and. I'm not saying it's out of the question that he that he knocks him out by any means, but I've just seen so so many poor defensive tendencies from Gilmore on the ground where even if ground and pound strikes are landed, I think he just turtles, he gives his back, and it's in those scenarios where Petrosky has the has the grappling game where he's he if he if he's presented with those type of openings, he's just gonna go for the sub. I don't necessarily think he's he's just gonna go ahead and and, and ground and pound him out. Like I said, it's not out of the question. I just think it's lower percentage. Uh, based on the style dynamic between the two. So to Andrew's point as well, I'm not usually one to take, a, you know, an MOV prop uh, at this tight of a line. Um, but in this one, I, I think it's I think it's warranted. But I don't hate your under one and a half uh, angle either because it does cover more bases um, and the fight most likely ends in that first half. But I don't know. 
I, I I'm just so I'm just so uh, bullish on the, on the sub. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you on that one for sure. It should be uh, an ass shaving, as our guy Uncle Weezy likes to save as well. Uh, hopefully, Petrovsky goes out there and actually gets it done because. God damn! If Gables, uh, if uh, I mean, see, I even want to say Gable Stevenson's name for some fucking reason. If uh, Gilmore actually goes out there, survives the first round, and then at least tries to put on Petrovsky late, there's going to be a lot of fucked up parlays. That's for sure. All right, um, let's move on to the next fight. Here we got probably uh, it could easily be the main event here. We got Kevin Lee going up against Daniel Rodriguez. In terms of odds, we're looking at um. Minus one thirty-five for Kevin Lee, plus one fifteen-ish for Michael or Daniel Rodriguez, and I believe I'm going to be kicking this one off for you guys. Uh, interesting to see what Kevin Lee looks like, right? One hundred and seventy pounds again. Uh, he did try one time against Rafael dos Anjos. Obviously, it didn't go his way that night, um, but it looks like he's putting in all the work that he needs to to be comfortable at one hundred and seventy pounds now. I didn't know if he was like half in, half out at uh, at welterweight now, but by all like all accounts, it seems like he's trying to get his body to a 170 pound body and a body, uh, or, or sorry, that type of frame so that, you know, he's cutting to get to 170 pounds and he's big enough to deal with these guys that are going to be bigger than him. And Daniel Rodriguez is a big one seven years. So he's definitely going to be feeling it here. Luckily for Kevin Lee, I think he has a massive grappling advantage in this fight. I do think he's going to be able to drag it to the ground. I do think he'll be able to grapple fuck Daniel Rodriguez. I don't think it's going to be to the extent that Kevin Lee actually gets a finish in this fight. I think we'll see Rodriguez do a decent enough job in terms of retaining guard and kind of just nullifying the amount of damage and submission attempts coming from Kevin Lee up from on top. But uh, yeah, I think Kevin Lee grinds this fight out over 15 minutes. Uh, if it does end up in the striking realm, I'd be biting my nails a little bit if I have a Kevin Lee ticket. Um, the the cardio angle as well is something that we always hear about with Kevin Lee. You know, he starts to slow down later in fights. Luckily for him, this is only a three-round fight. Not to mention Daniel Rodriguez is not really the type of guy to go out there and put on a hellacious pace that Kevin Lee is going to, like, falter under or anything like that. Um yeah, I, I like Kevin Lee in this spot. I think he wins uh, pretty easily here. The only concern are the injuries and all that shit, all that layoff. You know, the last time he fought was pre-pandemic. He was the last fight, the last main event before the pandemic hit us. And uh, that's been over, well over, what, 18 months now, 16 months now since we last saw him inside the cage. But let's see what he looks like. You know, on the scales, he looked great. It looks to be in good condition. This seems to be a very favorable matchup for him. I think he'd be a much higher favorite if he wasn't coming off all those external things like the injuries and surgeries and layoff and all that type of stuff. Uh, so this might be a damn good spot for people to go out there and snipe Kevin Lee. But then if he ends up getting knocked out or something like that, they're going to be like, oh, of course, the fucking layoff or something like that. Regardless, I like Kevin Lee here. Kevin Lee by decision. Weezy, uh, how do you see this one going down? Yeah, I'm also with you on Kevin Lee here. This is the most intriguing fight on the card for me. I, I just love this fight. You know, uh, it's a clash of styles again. Um, I look at I look to these control time percentages over a fighter's career to kind of determine what kind of fights they like to be in. And Kevin Lee, um, over 51% control time positions in his in his 17 UFC fights. While for Daniel Rodriguez in his seven fights, he's spending 90% of his time at range striking. So, you know, therein lies the, the the clash in styles once again. So Kevin Lee, though, is, is a relentless wrestler. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason that we've seen some of these conditioning questions for him is because offensive wrestling is exhausting. I mean, Andrew could tell you, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, it, it, it's fucking exhausting. So yeah. when you're when you're attempting six takedown attempts per fight, like, Kevin Lee is, you're going to get tired. But remember, when he gassed, it was late in fights. It was not in the second round. It was not in the third round. This is a three-round fight. And Daniel Rodriguez has only faced 18 takedown attempts in seven fights. 
you know, he's probably going to face 10 takedown attempts just in this fight. Um, I do see Kevin Lee's uh, grappling really getting the best of Daniel Rodriguez here. I think one of the narratives that's been talked about is the fact that this is Lee moving up to welterweight and that he's going to be the much smaller man here. Well, it's really... Kevin Lee's got a three-inch reach advantage over Daniel Rodriguez, and that's something that people aren't really talking about. When we talk about measurables advantages in fights, the, the, the statistically significant categories are age and reach. And age, Kevin Lee is six years younger, and in reach, Kevin Lee's got a three-inch reach advantage. You know, you put on top of that the fact that Kevin Lee has fought the way, way tougher brand of competition and that this guy is a relentless grappler that will shoot for takedown attempts over and over again. And when he gets on top of people, he's absolutely savage, especially early in fights. Um, we do know that Daniel Rodriguez has got a slick jiu-jitsu game. He trains with Eddie Bravo. He's a 10th planet jiu-jitsu player. So if Kevin Lee does get sloppy and shoots in, you know, leaving his neck out there, he could get snatched up in a guillotine like Tim Means did. Um, but I'm, I'm picking Kevin Lee here by decision. I don't like laying minus 150 coming off the layoff, coming off the knee surgeries. We don't really know where his head is at. You kind of have to question where somebody's head is at when they get a tattoo like that sometimes. These are bad life decisions. And, you know, a really bad tattoo is something that's going to take a while to recover from. So we don't know where his head's at. But I still think the wrestling, the reach advantage, the youth advantage and the fact that he's fought the way tougher brand of competition. I, I, I'd be stupid if I passed on Kevin Lee here. I, I, I do like Kevin Lee to win this fight. I like it. I like it. Luke, before I pass it on over to you, why the fuck is Francis Ngannou on the PFL podcast? Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on, guys? Give us some fights first and foremost, but bringing on these guys that whatever the fuck. Luke, how do you feel about this matchup between Lee and Rodriguez? Yeah, my pick is Lee, but it's a pass for me. I guess I don't have as as passionate of a take personally. Um, I, I definitely get it. The the path is there, but I do think D Rod has has pretty solid takedown defense, and I think you know Kevin Lee's really going to have to work for these. Um, I know a big talking point is is that that Mike Perry was able to get him down. Kevin Lee's a better wrestler than Mike Perry. I get it for sure. Like I said, I'm still picking Lee. I think he wins a decision. Maybe even is live for for a sub. You know. Kevin Lee went in, out there and you know submitted a dude and Michael Kiesa, who's a who's a pretty solid uh, solid grappler too. So that needs to be noted. But D Rod is a, a tenth planet purple belt. Um, I just think at range, I don't want to say Kevin Lee's screwed. I, I don't think that's the right way to classify it. But D Rod's pace is just absolutely unreal. That really just many guys have not been able to to show they can keep up with outside of you know Nicholas Dalby, who just kind of sat there and potch out in the outside. But that's not really kevin lee's game so i don't know I, th I think it's it's a reasonably competitive fight um that lee wins like a a 29 20 decision more often than not i like it i like it andrew <clears throat> do you think the the wrestling of lee is going to be enough here to, for him to get the w I, I i heard some things i really agree with and some things i really haven't agreed with so i think um, similar to the fight I talked about earlier, the Kennedy fight, I think there are multiple ways to attack this one. I personally think Kevin Lee is going to take uh, D-Rod down and submit him. And it's not because Mike Perry took him down. It's because when Mike Perry took him down, Mike Perry passed to side control and D-Rod is hanging on his head like he – like. That's not the right technique to defend that. And and you got to know when to say when. Kevin Lee takes your back. I don't care what belt you are under, what 
under what gym you are, unless you're Gordon Ryan, you're in, you're in serious trouble when Kevin Lee takes your takes your back, especially early on. D Rod's fought a lot of strikers. Um, for the most part, I mean, Perry is the most grappling we've seen against him. And I don't think his technique looked great against Perry. Even when he was on bottom, um, he wasn't digging for underhooks off his back. And it just, I think I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think the round just happened to end in that position, which um, is just a, just a variance thing. But I think the under two fives, another good spot here. I don't know why that's plus money. I think Lee, the, I really do think if Lee gets his fight to the ground, he finishes the fight way more often than he does. And, and I think on the feet, um, D-Rod hits hard. And, and, and Kevin Lee um, hits pretty hard himself. I don't predict that Kevin Lee's going to knock D-Rod out on the feet, but would it be the most surprising thing? No, not really. And Wheezy, I loved what you said earlier about um, cardio and wrestling. I think a lot of times people mistake a bad gas tank for someone who's meeting resistance grappling. So like Kevin Lee versus, say, RDA, for example. Like RDA is an elite grappler. So if you're going at a frantic pace with RDA in a grappling match in a five-round fight, like everyone's going to get tired doing that. I don't think D-Rod really offers that same type of resistance that an RDA or a Charles Oliveira would in terms of grappling um, resistance. I also think Lee Moneyline isn't wide enough. I, I mean, to I just can't – when I envision this fight in my head – I just really can't see D-Rod just shucking off every takedown. Like like you guys have pointed out, Kevin Lee shoots relentlessly. I just see him getting takedowns, and, I, and he's nasty on top. I think Luke mentioned how he submitted Michael Chiesa um, from top position. He's His back takes are fantastic. His re-naked chokes are great. He, his hip pressure when he throws legs in, or jiu-jitsu guys call it hooks, his, his pressure's awesome. Um, so I'm taking Kevin Lee. I'm taking Kevin Lee by submission. I'm taking the under 2-5 here. I, I really like this fight from a betting perspective. I think Andrew likes some Kevin Lee over here. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I might be giving a little bit too much credence to uh, what I'm expecting with Daniel Rodriguez off of his back here. But again, you get to find out in less than 24 hours. So I can't yeah, wait yeah. to see how this one goes down. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, a bantamweight uh, ultimate fighter finale here. We got Ricky Tercios going up against Brady Heastand. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 150-ish for Tercios and plus 130 is the return here on Brady and Weezy. I'm actually going to let you kick this one off, brother. How do you think that this 135-pound scrap goes down? It's a hard one to call. You know, I've talked about this fight a couple of times already this week, and I, I've said it before. I'll, I'll say it again. I'm really impressed with Brady's wins in the house. Um, Redding House and um, uh, the alpha male kid, Murdoch. Uh, Murdoch. Um, you know, because people talk about Brady Heastand prior to the UFC, I believe the five guys that he beat have got a combined record of something like one in 22 or something like that. You know, so they're talking about him being a can crusher, but those weren't cans that he beat in the house. And, uh, you know, the Reading house fight, man, that was a great fight. And, uh, and, and he just put it on Murdoch. Let's face it. Uh, he, he, he wore him out. So the people who are saying he stand isn't, um, isn't experienced enough. I, we've seen so many fighters come into that ultimate fighter house at the age of 22. You know, uh, Kelvin Gastelum comes to mind. Some of these young kids, they come in that house for six weeks and they grow a year's worth of that a normal mixed martial artist would grow in those six weeks. They're getting they're getting coached up by some of the best guys in the business. This guy, when Brady Heastan was calling his family at home, he's talking to his brother, He's like, if you have you grapple with Craig Jones, he's like, I'm rolling with that guy every day, you know. So the, when you see a 22 year old kid that's got a lot of upside, like he stand going to the Ultimate Fighter house, they come out a lot more terrifying than they came in. 
And that is absolutely evidenced by the wins that he got in the house. And Tercios, um, Tercios is pretty damn good all around, you know, uh, for a regional scene fighter that's kind of like making a debut here, um, even though he had a contender series fight. You know, the losses uh, to Mana Martinez, Boston Salmon, both guys that at this point have fought in the UFC. So he's beating decent um, uh, regional scene competition, and he's got twice as many pro fights as Brady. So there's reasons to like him as well. And we don't know how Brady's conditioning is going to hold up in that third round. So that's something that we could potentially see a late finish by Tercios if um, Brady exhausts himself with that offensive wrestling and top control and constant shooting. Um, this is an interesting fight, man. Um, I kind of like Brady Heastand here because, like I said, I was really impressed with those wins in the house. He he took on two much higher-level opponents than he had ever seen prior to that in his career, and he handled it beautifully. And I think he's getting better. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to pick Heastand here. I don't really have an idea of whether this thing's going to finish inside the distance or not, how it's going to finish, but I am leaning he stand here, and I might even take a shot on him at the plus money. I like it. I like it. I definitely think that he's definitely one of the more live dogs on this, you know, very narrow dog card. Uh, Luke, how do you feel this matchup is going to go down and who ultimately gets their hand raised for the 135-pound division? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I definitely do uh, give he stand some credit for, for a lot of the reasons that that we see touched on in terms of, you know, strength of competition in the past hasn't been great, but he went out there and beat, you know, two, two solid guys to at least get a question answered there, but he's going to wrestle. He's going to shoot some takedowns. Um, Tercios can be wrestled. Uh, I think he is a decent scrambler though. Both guys are black belts in jujitsu. I guess my, my pause with taking a, a dog shot on, uh, he stand is that I think he's just a pretty big liability at space and Tercios comes forward and just spams a ton of shots. Uh, you know, he's not a huge power threat historically, but, um, yeah, that at least that, uh, who was the first guy he fought again? What was his name on tough Redding house, Redding house. Yeah. Just how he was, how he was reacting to shots in that fight. I really didn't like, um, and we know that Tercios has a really crazy, crazy gas tank too, and he's going to push that relentless, crazy pace over the course of 15 minutes. So, uh, given that you know, I you know, both guys brown belts, I don't, I don't see a submission from Heastan, but I can see him making this fight potentially closer. But I think you know, the bigger moments, the more damage uh, does come, does come from Tercios. So he's my pick, but I definitely see the the argument and merit to a, a bet on Heastan. I feel like a lot of us are going to be split on this matchup. Andrew, it depends on what side you're going to be on here. Do you like Tercios or do you like Heastand? Yeah, I mean, I don't love either side. I feel like Heastand is the side, though. I haven't played it yet. I probably will play it small. I think anyone who's that reliable to shoot takedowns on someone who's grappling hasn't looked great um, is worth a shot at those odds. And also to the point we touched on earlier, what I was talking about, about cardio versus grappling resistance. It's the same thing with, um, with he stand like, yeah, he maybe gets tired at the, after seven minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever it may be when he's frantically grappling and someone's beating him with resistance. I'm not sure how much resistance he's going to get in the grappling from Tercios. Um, but Tercios does have the cardio edge here. It's just a matter of what happens, I guess, once it gets to the ground. Because I think it will get to the ground early. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. I mean, uh, to Luke's point, he doesn't look that good on the feet. So he could get caught coming in. But someone who's that reliable to shoot takedowns um, 
and, and who can get them. He also looked to have solid top control. And those two guys he beat in the house are pretty solid. Like I, I remember watching Redding House, I think his name is, um, for uh, for other tape in the past and thinking he was actually not bad. And then Murdoch was on Contender Series and he sliced through Murdoch like butter. So I don't know, not not a totally strong take, but if I had a gun to my head, I'd probably take he stand um, to win. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought up the Reading House win for uh, for Heastan. For a guy to get a win over a guy like Reading House at 22 years old it is very impressive. Uh, Reading House most famously will be known to us for being the guy that uh, beat Sergey Morozov uh, over there in M1 and then ultimately losing to him again after that. But like Reading House has a ton of experience compared to Brady Heastan, who again, 22 years old, still very green, still needs to go out there and show us that he, you know, he can put it together. But to get wins over guys like that on the uh, Ultimate Fighter is very, very good for him. Uh, this Tercios one should be a very difficult one for him too, right? We don't really see too much of that that striking from him, and that's kind of my my issue with him. And and I think that when this fight is uh, vertical, it's going to be very difficult for him to you know not eat a couple shots. Uh, luckily for him, Tercios not a big heavy puncher, so I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to put him into trouble. And I do think that we'll see he stand land takedowns, you know, in the first and second rounds here. Uh, it's the also the cardio, right? Like how slippery is Tercios going to be off of his back and how much energy is uh he's not gonna have to expend trying to keep him there and get some control time going in this fight um I still do side with the Heastan side of things. Plus 140, I don't think is too bad of a line here considering the skill set of both of these guys. I just want to see more improvements from this kid uh, before I actually you know, risk my money or anything on him there. Uh, I do like Heastan. I'll take him to win this fight by decision. He could potentially blast Tercios early here like he did against Vince Murdoch on the show as well. But I do think his best path to victory, get that takedown and grind this fight out over 15 minutes. Uh, that's how I'm seeing this one go down. I like East End via decision. All right, let's move on to the Coleman event. This is the 185-pound Ultimate Fighter finale. We got Brian Battle taking on short notice Gilbert Urbina. Uh, the odds currently minus 175 for Battle, plus 155 for Gilbert Urbina. And I'm actually going to get Luke to kick this one off for us, brother. Who do you think wins this matchup between these uh, middleweights? Uh, yeah, I actually have, I shouldn't say a super strong opinion, but I think I have a decent read on the fight and I think it's a decent fight for Brian battle. I think off, off the top, I don't think Gilbert Urbina should even, you know, be in the spot dude lost in the house. Uh, you know, get, getting another step up. I know that battle, um, definitely face some some resistance against Petrovsky, but to go out there and you know whether that storm go out there and submit a guy like that who's the caliber wrestling grappler and Petrovsky, and i believe battles only a white belt on paper like i mean that's 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 pretty impressive man uh so I, I would say in terms of the grappling urbina probably is the better grappler of the two on paper but i don't think his offensive wrestling is very good and just what i've seen from him at space just just does not look good. He kind of moves back, uh, back, back and forward in straight lines, chin straight up in the air. Uh, battle hasn't shown to be, you know, the biggest power threat historically, but he does throw a lot. He's tough. Uh, he mixes up his attacks between punches, kicks, knees, elbows. Uh, I just think he's going to be the busier party here. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if he did put, uh, Urbina out more so based on like a, a uh, an attritional based KO in comparison to like him necessarily flatlining him. But, uh, I know Battle's been taken down a couple times, but I think in general his takedown defense has has looked decent. Um, like I said, I just don't really value uh, Urbina's wrestling much, so uh, I think it's a I think it's a decent spot for for Battle. 
I like it. I like it. Andrew Battle had a pretty uh, lengthy amateur record, right? I think most notably he has wins over Empa Kasanganai and Cody Brundage. Uh, then was a very highly touted prospect coming into the pro scene. He ended up going one and one in his first two fights. Uh, but since then, it looks like he's getting a lot better and a lot more comfortable inside the cage. Uh, where do you rate him here? Do you think he actually has any longevity inside the UFC? And ultimately, do you actually think he beats Gilbert Rubina here? This is my turn. That's your turn, yeah. I, this is the only fight I haven't taped. I didn't watch this. Ah, season, God yeah. damn it, Andrew. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so you have no take whatsoever on this, eh? None. Didn't watch the season. I, I, I actually saved the last three tough fights for last because I've been taping a bunch of shit this week with PFL and Vic, the LFA, all that. And I was like, oh, I really don't want to go back and want, start from the top with these with these um uh, not contenders, but these tough guys. But I did it for the other two fights uh, the past couple of days, so I'll, I'll nail this one after we're done here. God damn it, Andrew! It's all good. I'll, hey. I'll, I'll, I'll t- <laughs> they have, they have, they have uh, they're in good hands with your three opinions on this fight, so you don't need me. There we go. I'm pretty much going to echo pretty much everything that Luke said, though, to be honest. I think that battle wins this fight pretty pretty handily, to be honest. Um, the, the only thing that kind of sticks out to me with like a sore thumb is that loss on battle's professional record where he gets subbed off uh, with his opponent off his back. Uh, you know, Urbina, not the greatest grappler, but I feel like he could pull off something like that. That That is definitely a part of his win condition, in my opinion. He has a little bit of a wrestling background, but I don't think it's as good as what battle brings to the table here. And if this fight remains in the striking realm, Urbina is a little bit too low output and uh, battle seems very content with just throwing his kicks out there and just staying active like that it's hilarious kind of just seeing the comfortability from uh battle from his first professional mma fight to where he's at now because he did not look comfortable at all in the striking realm in his first fight but has been making progressions and it seems like he's just found that that groove especially with his kicking and it's worked out for him he's a pretty big dude six foot one you know uh, it, when his kicks uh go out there he definitely covers a lot of range there i'm not sure how much power is behind those shots so i could definitely see like an accumulative possible finish here against Ur- urbina but i do think that we'll see him kind of you know i i don't think he really cares to make a huge statement here i think if he just wins he's just like i win you know what i mean like again this is against the short notice guys who i'm supposed to go up against trishan gore who is more than likely they're probably going to match these guys up next no matter what the fuck happens um uh, i think we saw it last time with uh Luis Pena and Mike Trezano. I think Pena fought Joe Gianetti, if I'm not mistaken. And then after that, Trezano stepped in because he got injured. But uh, I think we'll see the same thing here. I think Battle goes out there, uh, beats him pretty much everywhere. Just got to be a little bit careful in terms of the grappling at times. We have seen Battle get taken down. I wouldn't be surprised to see Urbina try to take that uh, that measure. But there's been the, the one fight that really sticks out to me a lot is the Angelo Trevino fight for Gilbert Urbina, where you know there's so many instances where it seems like Trevino could reverse and get on top and do some good work of his own but he just kind of accepts the back and just uh, you know gets his back to the ground and and it seems like he doesn't have the cardio or the gas tank or the will to actually push through those situations i feel like brian battle will push all those situations end up on top and get the better of those exchanges um i like battle here minus 170 not too bad of a line here and i think he ends up winning by decision and i think he could maybe crack top 20 top 25 in this division here at 185 pounds if he continues to progress at the state that he's at uh or, or at the rate that he's at um but yeah i like battle in the spot wheezy uh what do you think about these uh 185ers here yeah this is an interesting one because battle was supposed to fight treshawn gore so you yeah. know that he was preparing for a striker and now he's got a wrestler grappler coming in but Battle beat Petrosky in the house and that was an interesting fight because Petrosky went out took him down right away and Every time Petrosky took down Battle, Battle was 
he looked like a guy that had 18 fights. He was very relaxed. Um, he was fighting the hands. He was not, um, he was not making mistakes. You know, he was just being very patient on, on the ground and he was consistently getting back up. But what I found interesting was early in that first round, um, battle landed a knee to the head of Petrosky and Petrosky said it was a headbutt. It was not even close to being a headbutt and they had to stop the fight. And uh, it probably took about a minute because they did instant replay to make sure that it wasn't a headbutt. That gave Petrosky the rest in order to be able to continue wrestling at a frantic pace after that minute, minute and a half break. He took battle down over and over again. So I think that we could see Urbina actually win the first round of this fight. Use his wrestling, use his grappling, because Brian Battle's takedown defense isn't quite there yet. But what is there yet is is the patience and the ability to get back up. And if Urbina has to keep trying to wrestle like he did in that Trevino fight, even though Trevino didn't look like he had anything for, for him, but still Trevino reversed him a couple of times. He got up. You know, Urbina was never even close to finishing that fight. And then if we talk about Urbina's last fight against Treshawn Gore, boy, everything that Treshawn Gore threw landed. You know, I mean, he was just blocking punches with his face out there. He showed terrible defense, got knocked down three or four times in that fight. So I believe that if Brian Battle can survive the early takedowns, the early grappling attempts, get back up, tire Urbina, the longer the fight stays on the feet, I think he's going to eventually chin check Urbina, get him out of there inside the distance. I think I think Battle knocks him out. Interesting. Uh, I didn't actually think that you'd actually end it off with that there. But yeah, I do think that there is a skill discrepancy here and battle is def definitely the rightful favor. I look forward to seeing how he actually ends up getting it done here. All right, let's move on to the main event. This is what everybody's pretty much here for. We got Edson Barboza going up against Giga Chikadze. And actually, before we do get through it, hit that like, hit that subscribe. We got almost 150 people in here. And then obviously make sure you guys check out the Twitter handles for these guys. It's in the description below. So hit that link and then hit that follow. You guys are going to enjoy it for sure. All right. Um, main event time, like I said, minus 120-ish, uh, minus 115 for Edson Barboza, plus 105, uh, plus 100-ish is the return on Giga Chikaze. Seems like some money coming in on Barboza as fight week has gone on because it was pretty much a pick them throughout, but it's not massively in favor of Barboza in terms of the line movement here. Andrew, I'm actually going to get you to kick this one off for us, brother. How do you feel about this matchup between two primary strikers? Yeah, so I, I think, first of all, this is great matchmaking by the UFC. This is the fight to make. Um, it's the step up that uh, Giga Ki I, I'm so bad at saying his name. Giga Chikadze has um, <laughs> proven himself. I think he's like 6 or 7-0 and in the uh, UFC now ever since. Um, it's like we talked about before, people who lose on the Contender Series and find their way into the UFC. Um, Chikadze obviously has made a lot of improvements since then. He's beaten some solid guys like Cub Swanson, Jamal Emmers. Um, and, and there have been a, there have been those people in the space that have been fade, fade him, fade him, fade him all the way through. I haven't really been one of those people. I played him against Erwin Rivera. Um, I bet Cubs small against him. I, I've stayed away from most of his fights. Um, but here, I, I think Edson's the side. I played him at minus 106. Played some KO at plus 310 and uh, some under 4-5, I think, around even money. I just think, like... If you're going to beat Edson Barboza in a kickboxing match, like you're the most elite of the most elite. And Giga's good at kickboxing, but like I have to see that to believe it for sure. Like I'm not saying it's impossible, but I call this a show me spot. So he like 
I'm gonna he's gonna have to show me that he's really the best kickboxer in the in the featherweight division. Um, Edson usually struggles with pressure, and Giga's not a pressure fighter. He's more of a kicker as opposed to his punching's okay, but it, but he's not the kind of guy that um, Edson has seemed to struggle with in the past, like the Gaethys or the Kevin Lees, who are essentially gonna get in your face and pressure you. I think this is gonna be largely a kickboxing at range fight, and um, I, I have to favor Edson in that against pretty much anyone until proven otherwise. I like it. I like it. Yeah, this this should be a very fun fight no matter how it goes down, but I think we'll see it mostly in the striking realm. And yeah, I like the fact that you talked about uh, Giga, you know, not really a high output kind of guy, and I think, uh, or not not even really a, much of a pressure guy, which is really what you need to be the guy that gets in Barboza. The funny thing is, I think that Barboza will have the higher output in this fight, and I think it's going to be a little bit difficult for Giga to really get his own game going, especially when he continues to get popped by a kick or a punch or whatever the hell it might be. Uh, I think the narrative of Edson Barboza not going down to 145 pounds we can finally throw that out the window like the guy has three solid showcases at uh 145 pounds two and one arguably could be three and oh especially with that dan Ige fight um and yeah he he looks to almost get better with every single fight which is weird to say for a guy like edson barboza who's been in the ufc for as long as he has um i like barboza in this spot man earlier my pre-tape lean was giga chikaze but once you actually run the tape like there's been numerous times in the past where i try to fade giga chikaze to no avail but this is probably the guy that i was waiting for was uh edson barboza to do it with uh to add the the caveat that this fight this fight is a five rounder as well giga chikaze has been known to slow down as well that's something that we have to keep in mind here and i think that the longer that this fight goes the more it will favor edson barboza i am still somewhat split like i am picking barboza to win this fight don't get me wrong i think chikaze although his level of competition hasn't been the greatest he is still very skilled i think he could definitely put on barboza and possibly finish him early in this fight which is why I like the under four and a half a little bit better in this spot rather than picking a side. I think whoever wins is going to get a finish, whether it's Giga early or Barboza early or late. Um, but I think that I favored the Barboza side a little bit more. So I did take a little bit of a sprinkle on his round three, four, and five props as well, as I do think that those are good some, some good spots as Giga will start to slow down. Uh, Barboza can pick up the pace a little bit, really get his kicks going, and uh, really start to wear on Giga. And then I think it's just, you know, pretty much going to be Barboza from rounds three, half, like, over the two and a half round mark, I'd say that's where we see Barboza really start to take over and uh, have a ton of success and eventually find that kill shot. So I like Barboza here. I like the under four and a half a little bit more. Wheezy, how are you seeing this one go down? Did, are there any interesting stats that came out of this one that when you're digging into it? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of good ones. And I mean, we can just start real quick with the experience. Edson Barbosa, twice as many fights. Edson Barbosa, three times as many cage minutes as a pro. Edson Barbosa... 12-year career compared to six-year career for Chikadze. Then 25 UFC fights for Barbosa, only seven for Chikadze. Um, you know, Edson Barbosa, obviously the more experienced mixed martial artist here. He'll probably, th this is going to be one of the biggest guys that Ch Giga's ever fought besides Emmers. You know, uh, this is going to be, and Emmers is 5'10", Barbosa is 5'11", with a 75-inch reach. So he's even got one more inch than uh, of reach than Emmers does. So I like Giga when he's boxing up smaller guys like Cub Swanson, Jamie Simmons, Irwin Rivera. Those are where he looks really good. He's going to be fighting a kickboxer who blasts people's legs, who has really good conditioning, and Giga does not have good conditioning. That's That was the easiest factor for me when I was handicapping this fight was to say there's no way that Giga's going five rounds in this one. It's just not going to happen. You watch the third round of that Emmers fight, 
and he was completely done. And Giga's talked about it in the past, about he used to fight at 143 in glory. He's fighting 145 in the UFC, and he knows he cuts too much weight. He knows he's going to gas late in fights, but now you're fighting the upper echelon of guys, and you, you're, you're, you're the headliner. Now you're in a five-round fight, and you're going against guys like Barbosa, who's he, – he survived something like 15 consecutive minutes – of Kevin Lee control time before getting uh, knocked out in the fourth, right? You know, this is a guy who's had relentless pressure put on him by a number of grapplers. You know, Giga's only used to really fighting striking-based fights because if he were trying to wrestle for 15 minutes straight, Giga would be done after round one. So, you know, I really see conditioning making the major difference in this fight. Um, I bet the under four and a half. I, I either bet the under four and a half or the fight doesn't go. Um, I think I got it at like minus 130, and I got Edson Barbosa at minus 105 on Monday. So, yeah, I do think Barbosa gets it done. I'm also probably going to uh, touch that inside the distance prop because I just don't see Giga going five here. Um, I, I think this is going to be a very attritional fight. Both of these dudes hit really hard. And uh, I don't see Giga lasting the full five. I'm going to pick Edson Barbosa by late third round. Or I wish Jamal Emmers heard this breakdown before he ended up fighting Giga Chikadze because, God damn, I can't believe I still ended up losing that fucking bet. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was infuriating, yeah. dude, if you had money right? on Emmers, man. It was absolutely infuriating. I've already talked about it too much this week, so I'm not <laughs> going to bore you guys. But, man, did that piss me off. Oh, trust me. I, I was right there with you. Uh, Luke, uh, it seems like there's an uncomfortably a lot of people – on Edson Barbosa this week. Uh, are you sharing the same sentiments here? Usually that means like there's a public mush with the guy, you know, being as favored as he is on Twitter here. It seems like I've seen nothing but Barbosa love. Do you like Barbosa here in this spot? And then ultimately, how do you think he gets it done if you do like him? Yeah, I guess off the top, I'm not a big believer in mush personally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I am a, I'm on I'm on a Barbosa as well. And I think uh, Andrew hit the I guess my my quintessential reasoning here is that this is a show me spot for Giga Chikadze. Prove to me why Giga Chikadze should be at a pick 'em with Edson Barbosa. I, yeah. I, if he does, great. But there's just there are ten thousand different things you can point to as to why this line makes no sense. You talked about the experience, and if you actually go into even some more of the advanced stats as well. From an efficiency standpoint, Giga is the more efficient striker when you bring everything together, I think, by over 3%. And that's fighting perennial top 15 guys over a large sample size where Giga's had like three cupcakes in his UFC run too. So to even have, yeah, people might say that that differential, you know, doesn't look large, but needs to be put into that context as well. I uh, just want to hit on the Emmers fight real quick. If Emmers won, if he just wrestled more, that fight would have been different if Emmers just decided to do more early in general with the striking. That fight would have been different as uh, as well, and I think it's that that's a really telling fight, and I think that needs to be noted here too. People talk about you know he fought Omar Morales, who's a kickboxer. Look at what happened there, but Omar Morales just followed him around for 15 minutes. And I guess my last main point is that it, these these kickboxing based guys they largely need people to stand in front of them or follow them around for them to succeed just historically that's that's what the kickboxing arc 
archetype largely needs to succeed. But Barbosa, he's a kickboxer by nature, but he's made it a hybrid based style that works extremely effectively for MMA. He's a kickboxer, but a guy who uses a ton of lateral movement, who goes backwards, circles well. And to your guys' points too, in the in the fights that Barbosa is slowing down, you know, he's slowing down because of largely wrestling based pressure from, you know, the Kevin Lees, the Khabibs. Um, honestly, I was on Burgos uh, in, in the fight against Barbosa because I thought he might be able to, he pushes a super high pace that might be able to sap, sap the gas tank of uh, Edson. Edson looked fine, man. He was moving. He was on his bike his uh, uh, that whole fight. And, you know, he looked really good against a very high output pressure based boxer uh, in, in a guy in Burgos. I know it's not the same style match, but more so just to the, to the point of, uh, of Edson cardio. So, Ultimately, I I, th I think uh, I'll go as far as to say that I think Barbosa is a must play here. I don't necessarily think you have to lay three, four, or five units on it, but I think at least a unit or something or two. I have I think I think I think I have two and a half personally. Uh, but once again, to Andrew's point, you got to you got to prove to me that you can go out there and beat a perennial top fifteen guy. And then just one la last quick point too in Barbosa, uh, the last uh, I guess pure kickboxer he fought. You know, perennial top 15 guy and Dan Hooker uh, had never been finished uh, in 25 pro fights up until that point. Beat the living shit out of <laughs> Dan Hooker, um, <laughs> who's a more proven MMA based fighter against much higher level competition. So for all of that mesh together, uh, pick him just does not does not make sense to me. If Giga caught him, would I be shocked? No, but Giga winning like a methodical slow based kickboxing based decision over five rounds against a guy in Barbosa is very low percentage in my eyes. Well, ultimately, how do you think Barbosa gets it done? I can see a, I can see a late finish personally, just when he slows down, uh, but I wouldn't be shocked uh, with a decision either just because the kickboxing dynamic is uh, interesting based on, you know, it's just the range game that, that, that Giga plays. So I'm curious to see just, just what that dynamic exactly means for, for a giga early and then uh giga late, but I I think Barbosa's Barbosa's got him. All right, there you have it. Unanimous decision from pretty much all of us here. We got Barbosa uh winning this fight. Very interested to see how it plays out and if uh Giga can actually prove us wrong here. All right, one of the last segments I like to do that the viewers always enjoy as well. Uh getting the panels lock of the night plays or the most confident play on the card. Personally, I'm going with the under one and a half in the Petrovsky fight. Uh, Brian Battle was a close second for me, but I ended up going with Petrovsky because I think that the skill gap is just so wide. Once this fight hits the ground, I think that Petrovsky will lead the fight a chin or find that ground and pound and get this finish. And it also covers the potential of a Hail Mary KO from the Gilmer side of things if he does end up catching uh, Petrovsky in on a sloppy entry attempt for a takedown. So under one and a half. Uh, Petrovsky, Gilmore, it's roughly around minus 150. That's where I took my shot. Wheezy, what's your most confident play on the card? Yeah, I'm going with my ass shaving the week. I'm going with Alessio DiCherico <laughs> money line. I got it at minus 240. Uh, I might even add a little bit to it uh, in terms of Alessio inside the distance. But yeah, man, I think it's going to be one-way traffic. I, I really think DiCherico is too tough to knock out for, for um, Al Hassan at this point in his career. I think Al Hassan's done. I don't think he belongs at middleweight and and losing that that badly to um Malcoon is just you can't bet this guy anymore, you know. So yeah, I'm going with D Sharico. I like it. I like it. Luke, what are you liking for this weekend? Yeah, a bit of a tough one. I don't have like a like a large, large bet on anything, but I'm actually gonna go with uh Dustin Jacoby for for my ass shaving. 
I like it. I like it. And uh, Andrew, uh, what, what's your most confident play for the weekend? I'm going to go with Kevin Lee. I like oh, it. Nice. Beautiful, beautiful. I love that nice. type of confidence, especially with a guy that's around that minus 150 range. Uh, I guess the most important question before we sign off here, we don't need a crazy breakdown here. But you guys got Jake Paul or Tyron Woodley? I'm going with the Tyron Woodley side of things at plus 150. Weezy, you don't have to explain it. Who are you picking to win? Oh, God, I'm rooting for Woodley. Just yeah. please, Woodley, win. Just knock this yeah. dude's head into the third fucking row, please. Yeah. For the uh, love of God. Are you picking him to win, or is it just... You're Dude, I win. don't give a shit who wins this <laughs> fight. You know, man, I, I pick real fucking fighters, and I don't know what the fuck Jake Paul is. But I know Tyron Woodley, if he got into a real fight with Jake Paul, would murder him in yes. 60 seconds. So, I'm, you know, this is a boxing match. I don't give a fuck about it. Luke, who are you picking, Paul or Woodley? I'm going Woodley, but actually I do have a bet on the fight. Uh, I'm going with the over three and a half at uh, at plus money. I think I, I think we see uh, Paul get a little tired. Woodley's not reliable to do things. I know he's uh, th there's been some heat and some some animosity there, but uh, I think we see a lot of holding, a lot of hugging, uh, and this one goes over. Interesting, Andrew. Yeah, so I actually bet on Jake Paul against Askren pretty big at minus 150. And um, I don't get how knocking out Askren makes you go from minus 150 versus Ben versus to minus 200 versus Tyron. Because, I mean, think about if, like, forget all the YouTube boxing stuff. Think about, like, a year or two ago if someone said Tyron Woodley versus Ben Askren in any kind of striking fight, Tyron Woodley would be a 9-1 to -one favorite. He'd be lined at 90%. Um, so I think it might be a little bit of a market overcorrection. Um, I'm probably going to play Woodley. I like the over 3-5 too. I don't really think I, – I, I almost think that the way to do it is to play Woodley and the over 3-5, both plus money. I have a hard time – I don't think – I think the one more likely to finish early is probably Tyron. I don't think – I mean, you guys watched Gilbert Burns and Kamar Usman go 25 yeah. minutes with – with Woodley and not be able to finish him. And I'm not saying, and again, it's a different sport. Like I, I get it, but I just, I'd be shocked if Jake just went out there and bombed Tyron Woodley out with boxing gloves on. I mean, that would, that would be probably the most surprising outcome to me. So long story short, I've, I bet Jake Paul against Nate Robinson. I bet Jake Paul against Ben Askren. I don't get the rationale behind laying minus 200 on him here. So I think Woodley's aside. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be putting some plus one fifty on Woodley here. I, I, it's just a no brainer for me. I don't think that Paul's actually felt any power like Woodley's gonna be throwing out there. Um, hopefully, you know that over three and a half hits for you guys. But I'm looking for Woodley uh, to get it done really quickly. All right, that's pretty much it. I'm just gonna throw it around the horn one last time so everybody can plug their shit. Weezy, let's start off with you, brother. Where can everybody find you? Let them know. Yeah, uh, check me out on Twitter at MMA Wheezy. I've got my own YouTube channel, Uncle Wheezy. I do balls deep breakdowns of fights, and I do a full card breakdown called Just the Tip. You can catch me on Pub Sports Radio on Sunday nights at 6.15 p.m. Central Time on Stack Diggers with my man DFS by the numbers. And you can catch me on Pub Sports Radio on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. with my guy Luke sparring with Reality Z's MMA and DFS by the numbers, man. Thanks for having me on, Locke. Really appreciate it. It's always fun being on this show, man. Shout out to our guy, Big Brady. I love that guy. Luke, where can everybody find you, brother? Yep. Twitter, SWR underscore betting. Uh, I'm a little bit of a child when it comes to the gifts. I think I'm, in it, I think I'm a fun follow. <laughs> <laughs> At times, uh, I like to go back and forth with people. So, yeah, check me out on Twitter. Uh, bets content, patreon.com slash SWR betting. Put out four content pieces there. 
Also, just recently this week announced, uh, I joined the team over at dailyfanmma.com to do the bets and content for Contender Series over there this week. So if you guys are looking uh, for breakdowns, bets potentially tail for the Contender Series, uh, I'll be over there at dailyfanmma.com. Shout out to Brett Apley as well, who's doing a fucking phenomenal job in terms of bringing in guys and taking, letting them just tackle their own uh, promotions and stuff. So I'm glad that he brought you on that table and that team over there because sharp dudes and they're definitely delivering over there. Uh, Andrew, lastly for yourself, where can everybody find you, brother? Yeah, first of all, man, Pete, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it as always. Wheezy Luke was a blast chopping it up with you guys. Hope everyone makes some bank this weekend. Um, I'm going to plug something a little different this week. So if, if you know me, I've been betting on fights for a really long time. I've been on MMA Twitter for four years now. Um, I've just recently started a YouTube channel. It's MMA Knockout Bets. It's my Twitter name. So I, I kind of am just getting started on that. And I wanted to do something a little bit different. There's a lot of people out there, you guys included, who have breakdown shows where you run through the fights like we just did right now. Trying something a little bit different because that there's already a lot of good people doing that in the space. So I'm trying to focus in on one, two, maybe three fights a week and breaking it down, maybe like a five-minute video just to kind of get a little bit more content out because, I mean – I've been I've been doing this a long time and I enjoy it and I just want to reach a little bit wider of an audience. I think this is a way to do it. So if you could give me a, a subscribe to the channel, I think that's what it's called. I'm still kind of new to it, but <laughs> I ordered some. I'm on vacation right now, so I don't I don't have my equipment, but I bought a microphone. I got a, a light to put on, so I'm, I'm definitely taking it serious. So if you guys could give me a um, hit that subscribe button for me, I'd appreciate it. Yes, sir. Content creation in this space is king for sure, as everybody can find out easily. But yeah, I, I'm glad that you started your YouTube channel and you're putting out in the actual work. Shout out to Uncle Weezy as well with his meteoric rise, with his content creation as well. And then obviously Luke's absolutely killing it with his bets as well. So we got a sharp panel of guys here that you guys just heard from uh, for the fights tomorrow night. Hopefully it translates to some cash in your pocket because that's what we are ultimately here for. Um, once again, on behalf of myself, Wheezy, Luke, and Andrew, appreciate you guys all checking it out. Hit that like and subscribe on the way out and then hit these guys with the follow on their Twitter pages. Links are in the description below. Good luck tomorrow night and war Petrosky, baby. Let's get that first round submission, baby. Let's go.